0: Obviously, you made a right turn, because here's the wrong kind of podcast.
1: Good afternoon, good evening. Uh, here we are with Megan and myself, and we have a guest today. We have Mr. Jim Correll. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm glad that it's not as hot as it has been the last week. Folks, folks around here probably know you, kind of, but uh, for those that don't, tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? All right, well... I was born in a log cabin. <laughs> well, no, not really on that. But 17%? I was born out
0: in western Kansas, uh, pretty close to the edge of the world, west of Dodge City. Yeah, that is. <laughs> and I ended up here in Coffeeville in 2000. I had a cushy internet job until the internet bubble broke. Some of us will remember that in 2000. Yeah. Got laid off, uh, started a small business in Coffeyville for a while that didn't end up being full-time Oh, I did two years of hard time at Amazon when they were here, <laughs> and uh, it was hard time, but, but interesting learning experience. Then I started a sharpening business in Coffeeville, and that one wasn't quite good enough. It was a good part-time business, but not really full-time, and one week in 2006, I saw an ad in the paper that Independence Community College was looking for someone to run something they called the Successful Entrepreneur Program. They didn't want it to be an academic program, and I'm not an academic, but I've had a couple of businesses of my own. And so apparently, by the way, and I'd also hardly ever worked anywhere more than five years at a time in my adult life. And so, but I'd had a couple of businesses. So I tell people they decided that a misfit like me was just right to do that. So (laughs) Um, I started at the college in 2006 and did that program. And then in, in 2014, we had a chance to open a makerspace called Fab Lab ICC. And I did that until I retired last August. And so I still do some small business coaching, and I'm involved with a program that does gap financing and some other programs for small businesses. So I still have plenty to do, of course, a million projects at
1: home that stacked up over the years, so uh, that's kind of where I'm at now. Awesome. And what have you come to talk to us about today? You're uh, you're one of the uh, early... I'm trying to get more folks like yourself in here from the region that have some things to say. Uh, we do a couple of shows a week, but I'm trying to uh, sprinkle it out with some interesting folks, and <laughs> I guess you, uh, you fit the interesting folk bill.
0: Well, maybe, because I... Got into the world of higher education, academia, and I'm not an academic, and that is a very strange world indeed. <laughs> uh, actually, I think it's a Titanic, and uh, they don't even realize that they're headed for the iceberg yet. But so I discovered some things in that in that world, and a couple of things that I figured out over that time is that a business degree is not designed for people to start businesses. (laughs) Business degree is designed to train people to go to work for big businesses. And I'll kind of get into how that came about in a minute. Uh, So, and there's not really a way to teach entrepreneurship, at least in in the normal way that we think about teaching. So that kind of has to be instilled from within, or at least entrepreneurs have a, really different way of looking at the world. And they look at the world as whenever a problem comes up, they look at it as an opportunity to be solved, either because it needs to be, and we call that social entrepreneurship, or they think a lot of people have that problem. And if they can solve it for them, they can make some money doing that. And that's um, the business schools preach profit as the number one goal for a hundred years and now we have all this graft and corruption in large corporations but in the kind of entrepreneurship that i try to instill with my programs the number one thing is to provide a service of value to people in the way that you solve problems profit is
1: certainly necessary
0: but it needs to be second to
1: providing a good service that 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 will come in time if you're providing a good service yes yes so,
0: no, how did we? Let's, well,
1: so some of the things you said there was pretty. I mean, we've, I mean, clearly we're running a business here. We pay taxes and do all those things. So we, so we understand some the of the, stuff. uh, yeah, some of the fun stuff. But one, <laughs> one thing that you was talking about is the way that, uh, entrepreneurs see things differently, like we'll see a problem. Yes. There's a part of my brain, like when we was putting on the street drags or she was putting on uh, concerts and things, I love a challenge and I feel like I always need to have something to think about or to do i always need a goal she can tell you i start Uh, getting crazy i get crazy if i don't have something to do and currently it's it's this and right i've stuck to this longer than anything (laughs) it's always something else i get distracted so yeah i'm curious to see what kind of things you got to say
0: you know you touched on something about the taxes and all that yucky stuff about business ownership when i started at the college in 2006 i didn't know any better they wanted that to be a nuts and bolts practical non-academic program to help people get into business and run their businesses better and i didn't know any better at first so what i observed was that some of the people helping businesses in that time they would have started business seminars and they would emphasize all the yucky stuff you're gonna have to work all these hours you're gonna have to pay all these taxes and i go on and on, and then we'd sit around economic development meetings wondering why nobody wanted to start businesses. (laughs) Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, Yeah, and so all that stuff is kind of true. You have to do all that stuff, but this program that I discovered uh, in 2011, at the end of 2011, that approaches it from a whole different angle, and that provides inspiration and this entrepreneurial thinking first and if you get people excited like that, then they're willing as they get into it to do the hours and the and the taxes, and they know that's part of it. But talking about all that hard stuff first does not do anything to inspire people to start yeah, businesses. No, no, it doesn't really.
2: No, I'd say that was probably our own personal experience. Like you had a goal, you wanted to do something. Yeah. It, and I wasn't, I didn't tell you no. No. So- <laughs> it was, and, and
1: then you find out later, wait a minute, you got to do this? There's
2: There's stuff that has to happen, but... It's still part of like, and, but, and maybe that is part of that different mindset that some people have. Like, It's gratifying. It's just one step in the process of overcoming the challenge. Yes,
0: right, okay. right. So I want to touch on this a little bit because our whole system of education in the United States was not geared up to support this kind of thinking. And that kind of started back in 1892 the government came up with a thing they called the committee of 10 and they put a bunch of educators together from Ivy league schools and from big business in that era and the government. And we got to remember the industrial revolution had not been going on all that long. So what business wanted was workers and the work back in that day was repetitive and hard and long. And so, they wanted an education system that really just made people smart. They needed to be able to read and they needed to be smart enough to be able to read instructions and do different jobs in the factory. But there was really no desire to make them creative or have any kind yeah. of critical thinking or any, they wanted subservient people really that yeah. would do what they didn't, they, they, they didn't wanted. want thinkers. They wanted writers. Right. And so we went from one room schools to these schools where everybody is kind of arbitrarily sorted by age by manufacture date and we put them in rooms that were kind of drab and not not creative at all and for all that time up through the 80s we pretty much just trained them to go to work in factories by the way we use bells and buzzers in the schools too to simulate what they were going to be driven by when they went to the factory. So it got them used to running their day by bells and whistles. My day is ran by bells and whistles. (laughs) So, and, you know, in 1892, I think the country was still recovering from the Civil War. And so it wasn't so easy to make a living maybe. And through the early 1900s, it kind of worked out okay. And even through, you know, then we had the Depression and then World War II, and even after World War II, the predominant thinking was that big business and the government was going to take care of everybody, you know, for, until they, but mm-hmm. died basically. And so you had the pensions and all that. Um, but that began to change in the 80s because one, the Soviet Union uh, toppled, and and now entrepreneurs in other parts of the world wanted part of the American market. And then, of course, the Internet came along later, and that kind of changed everything. So, But our education system hasn't been so fast to change. So by and large, and I don't have any kids in school, but by and large, the kids that I saw at the Fab Lab, we did a lot of youth programs at the Fab Lab with uh, middle school kids, and one of the first things that we'd always have to do when kids came in is get them over their fear of failure and get them over the idea that there's not one right answer for everything and that they need to wait for the teacher to get the answer. And so I saw that clear up through you know the last few years. And if we could give all these kids this entrepreneurial thinking, that would kind of help bring out some of that creativity that tends to get driven down inside you when you're told that there's only one answer to everything. And... You need to wait for the teacher to try anything new.
1: (laughs) From uh, my perspective, I'm 51, so I think I'm a really good example of Gen X. We uh, were told you were going to be a failure if you didn't go to college. Right. Just plain and simple. Oh, yeah. Just a couple of days ago, I was talking to a a guy, and uh, we were talking about he was going back to St. Louis to uh, work the family business. And he was talking about some union labor that worked for his family business, and he was talking about how much money they made an hour. He goes, "Well, that's a pretty good job for not having a college degree." And I thought, "That's kind of the hell are you saying that?" I mean, they got a lot of education. That doesn't mean they're stupid. Right. No, but that, that's I, how it come across, yeah. you know. And I thought, "Well, hell, okay, I guess you're going to make a great, uh, great business owner or something." I don't know. I just it hit me completely wrong because. I am the guy he's talking about, you know. I don't have a college education, but I do okay. I mean, everybody seems to be happy around here.
0: (laughs) You know, it when people... That's been so ingrained for so long, that thing about going to college. And it's very subtle in society. And a lot of people don't even notice the messaging until you start paying attention. And then it's starting to get a little bit better. uh, And so... Maybe this would be a good time to work into my tale of two icebergs. So, right. in today's world, visualize two icebergs are right side by side. On the left side, the portion of the iceberg above the surface are young people, in some ways anybody, but young people who kind of have an idea what they want to do with their life. There's not that many; they're above the surface of the the surface of the water. But down below the surface of the water are just legions and legions of young people that don't have any idea what they want to do. And so we have them go talk to school uh, counselors that might have a list of 100 or 150 careers and we start trying to talk them into being this or being that and still a lot going to college, right? It's subtle if not anything else. And many of them aren't buying into it. Many of them aren't. Uh, many of them aren't particularly good students in this traditional way of one way of learning. And so we put them in programs like JAG-K, which is Jobs for America's Graduates. And notice the hit, notice the word jobs. The other thing that we don't ever do is talk to young people that they can have their own business. We almost never mention that to them. We're starting to a little bit now, but we've almost never. So We put them in these programs like JAG-K, and we say, well, you're in danger of flunking out of high school. What are we going to do? You better be ready to just settle for some job the rest of your life. Um, So that's the iceberg on the left. Now, in the iceberg on the right, above the surface of the water, that's the college degrees and the training programs and the technical programs that we have today that are actually serving fairly well, maybe, maybe the people that above the surface on, in the left iceberg. But now below the water on the right-hand iceberg is all the work in the world and all the companies in the world that need work done, and there is no program. There is no training program for what they need done. And so what are they doing? They're saying, we will train the right people. And many of them would say, we're not getting the right people. But part of the reason is because our young people are not being inspired by school, and they're not buying into the. Oh, many of them are not buying into the thing of college and the debt and all and all that stuff. And they just want something else. And they don't want to do repetitive work, doing the same thing all day either. Um, many of them want to feel like they're making a difference. And so that's just well, You couple that with the with the idea that I don't think the way that we've hired people in the United States or world for the last forty years. Maybe it worked okay a few years ago, but I don't think it's very effective anymore. And so now we have this big disconnect and we have companies that can't get workers and they can't figure out why. But to me, it's just because everything's still set up for that old system and the new world is just not working that way.
1: Where do you think they've all went? Because before the pandemic uh, seemed like people had jobs, people were doing things. Now you can't find anybody to work. Where did those people go? I don't know for sure. I guess some of them are hanging out at home or hanging out in
0: their parents' home. Um, in the cities, you see all these influencers, and so I suppose there's some of them make, you know, making a living doing stuff on the Internet. Uh,
1: that's actually a good question. I don't know that I've seen any studies on,
0: they on where to, they're
1: at. They had to go somewhere. I mean, we just didn't—I I, I don't think they're at home making money, like when I'm talking about off the government, I think— All of those uh, spigots have been turned off. Pretty much. There's no more of that. I I do think there is a whole new avenue to the internet. I mean, we're not making a living off this, but we do make a little bit of money to support our equipment and things. So we tell our kids all the time that the world is basically wide open. You can do anything you want.
2: And it doesn't mean you have to go to college.
1: No, and it doesn't mean I actually have one daughter that I don't believe ever going to step foot into a college, and that's okay.
0: I'm glad you think that because I think that's the – you know, and even back in the, even back in the Stone Ages in the in the seventies, my parents never really pressured me to go to college. It was like, if you want to do that, that's fine. I worked in a lumberyard in in high school, and I really liked that. And one time they said, do you want to try to find a lumberyard somewhere to, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so I don't know how we would have done it. But anyway, they they really left it open, and that meant a lot to me. And so I kind of did a weird split thing. I went to two years of community college and then I got married, and then I did some, I was a photographer for about 12 years, and then I did manufacturing and did all this different stuff in between, and then finally I got mad when I was working for Safe Flight, because uh, I I was doing accounting work, but they wouldn't hire me as a staff accountant, because I didn't have the stupid degree, <laughs> and so anyway, finally a guy did hire me for staff accountant, so I finished my uh, just undergraduate business degree, and Uh, about 15 or 20 years after I did the two years. So I did get the degree, and maybe it helped me a little bit. I don't know, but um, it's certainly not necessary for everybody. And the way we do it, there's like 10 or 12 different ways of learning, and pretty much our schools still just do one way. And so if you don't do well in that one way, you're just kind of out of luck. Yeah, I am not a school learner. And then you get branded as the – you know you get put in these different programs and things and and one thing we learned at the one thing we learned at the fab lab is kids if they're making a project that they want to make and they're interested in they will learn all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways we're selling kids short where we put them in a class sorted by age and we try to teach them all the same thing at the same rate and we need to be doing more project based learning where they can kind of go at their own rate, and we figure out how to help the ones that need help. But the ones that are doing okay, just let them go. Let them go. Let them make their projects, and make them more complicated all the time. And it's just amazing what kids will learn if they're if they're putting it to use, doing something that they're interested in making happen.
1: What is that? You got a you got a term for that? I've heard you say it before. If somebody's interested in something, you've had some fancy education term. Is somebody's
2: interested in something? Like, I don't know.
1: I, I don't know. There's a terminology for it. You know, I'm I don't know.
2: I just I um I teach. I am a teacher, mm-hmm. and um, and I haven't on the school board, which I, I I know you know, but I've I've been in education since, I mean, 2006 was my first job, quote unquote, I guess, um, as a as an in education. But I have definitely learned over the years that the more freedom you give your kids in class, to do what they're passionate about. Whether, like, I'm an English teacher, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. I understand that not all the kids love grammar. My own (laughs) kid doesn't love grammar. She she rebels against me on that. Um, But when we get to literature and all that, and that really is fun stuff to me. I, I think that, first of all, I'm passionate about it. And so they feed off of that a little bit. But when you open it up and you let the kids not test over it but do projects over it, you have a whole different... Um, a whole different outpouring of what the kids will give you. Because some kids just don't test well. Right. I mean, they just don't. They're never going to test well. Some kids test well and don't really know what they learned because they learned it just to pass the test. Right. I may have been one of those kids. Like, <laughs> what?
1: Wasn't it just a little few years ago that the what was considered a successful oh, student... I knew you
2: were going to say it. Kansans can.
1: ...was somebody that was prepared to go to college?
2: Kansans can. Did you... Well... The...
1: I don't know if I remember that name or not, but that's
0: that's what the whole thing was yeah. for all those years. Going to the military Kansans, was considered yeah. a failure. Kansas yeah. can
2: initiative was we had a student that was going to take over his family farm and they wouldn't count him as a successful <laughs> Good Lord. Well, um, graduate like he was literally like that was the plan all along, right. to get him through his classes so that he could take over the family like that's and he wanted to. But the state of Kansas wouldn't count him as a whatever, wouldn't check that box.
0: You know, a couple of things on that. that. That thing you described of the kids when they're doing that, we saw that all the time in the Fab Lab and the youth programs because that's what we did. We tried to get them interested in stuff. And the other thing, I was going to do a disclaimer at the beginning of this thing that the, the teachers the teachers in the world today and the schools are just kind of caught in this thing. They're kind of caught on this titanic and it's not their fault, and in fact, many of them figured out ways to work around it, like it sounds like you, you did. You try, yeah. But the the policymakers at the state level and even the federal level just don't have a clue. The Kansas Board right. of Regents doesn't have a clue, and all these standardized tests. Maybe they were well intentioned, but and in all this stuff. And I've run, I've run into some of that, and it just is not being very effective.
2: I understand their need for the standardized test as a way of making sure that people are teaching what they're supposed to be teaching, right? Like you want to make sure that your kids are getting the education that you are sending them to school for, but standardized tests are not – have you ever seen that meme Uh, or it's probably like a comic from way back in the day? Like all these animals standing in front of a tree and the test is to climb the tree and there's like a dog and an elephant and a (laughs) goldfish and like they're not going to climb the same tree. I mean,
1: no. Is the test to see if the uh, administration is doing their job, as as opposed to a test of the kid whether or not he's actually a, the definition of smart or intelligent? Well, at one know? point
2: they were talking about using those standardized tests to um, even base teacher pay on. I know that that was way shot down quickly, but that was a conversation just a few years ago, and I'm sure it's been numerous. But and those are stressful tests. Nothing like oh yeah, getting your, setting your kids up for a week of intense anxiety and I don't know
0: exactly what the answer is because everybody needs to be able to read and they need to be able to write so that people can understand what they're doing and they won't sound like an idiot. So you, you have to figure out a way to teach that stuff but then beyond that, there ought to be a way to let these kids branch out a little bit and you know the college degrees are full of stuff that you'll ne- basically you'll never use. So much. And, you know, example, business degrees, I've never ever, I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs over the years, a lot in this area. And I've never, ever heard ever any one of them talk about micro or macroeconomics. It's just not the way they think. you got people in a place and they've got some money and they've got problems that they need to be solved. And that's what they think about.
1: I don't know. There's lots of things I wish that I had been taught differently in school, because the kid sitting next to me that everybody knew was going to go to college, right? I mean, he was just going to be somebody, and he's getting exactly the same education that I am, and everybody knew that I wasn't going to college. I was going to work for a living. You know, I was going to do something. I sure wish there was a way that they could, I don't know.
2: Which is really okay. Heard
1: some of us this way and heard some of us this way a little bit, you know? Right, right.
2: You start freaking people out, though, when you say things like that, and they start start thinking of, like, Japan I don't back know. in the...
1: Really? did people freak out about that? I bet if my parents would have thought, well, he's going to get something that makes more sense for him, he really doesn't need to know algebra and trigonometry and all these things, because I'm telling you right now, I'm 51. I, I can't tell you if I've used it in the last month. Maybe I don't even know what I'm doing, but anyway, I don't know. Go ahead, Jim. We, well, digress. I was going to
0: say, um, you know, again, back in the stone ages in the second grade for me, I can remember a teacher because I think Jim and I, the rocket program, the space program was happening then. And so us kids were seeing, you know, we we're seeing these rockets go off and, and you could buy kits of stuff about that. And I remember I told my second grade teacher one day, I want to build a rocket and i so she let me pull out a class and you know we had encyclopedias remember those things (laughs) we had encyclopedias back then and so I spent a couple of days and I finally figured out that I couldn't probably wasn't going to be able to figure out how to build a rocket but you know she let me do that and that looking back on that that was pretty revolutionary
1: yeah I think but it also you realize you didn't know how to do it but you figured out what you didn't know Yeah. Um, So then you could go figure it out. And I got a set of encyclopedias up there if you ever need to use them. (laughs) I think they're from like 64, but you know.
2: That's really funny that you share that story. The teacher that made me want to be a teacher was the teacher that let me get done with everything. I was that kid, right? Like I was done with everything way too soon and just sitting there twiddling my thumbs. Nerd. She let me create my own books. Like, like I wrote them and then she showed me how to like sew them together on the ends and like literally how to make an entire like book. And she had like this, just all these things. Like I was the kid doing that, but there was another kid over here that was working on art stuff and creating just amazing things. And that was in third grade. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's the teacher that I was like, I want to be a teacher because she's, I
1: think I've just realized that my wife and I are the perfect example of the two people <laughs> I was talking about. This is the most organized She's got some kind of book what? that she writes everything in. She knows what's going on It's called an agenda six months from now, <laughs> and I keep all of this in my brain and kind of right. halfway remember it and put it in my phone. I think I'm starting to get i think i'm I think we're cyborgs already because we're we're attached to this phone, but me and her that's that's it's pretty good because when we put on events.
2: We're, we have our roles. We know I, our roles. Yeah, it's okay. I,
1: I'm definitely the, uh, I'm the grunt. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need grunts in the world. And she's the one that's calling places and doing things. Well, we wanted to, I met her and she kind of lit an entrepreneurial fire in me. I wanted to open up a gun store, right? And I was talking to her about it. And next thing I know, she's like, hey, you need to fill these forms out. What? <laughs> you know, she had went to the ATF. She's like, yeah, you need to do this. Okay. And the next thing I know, we have a gun store. We have a license. We can sell guns legally. Every stupid idea that I've had, somehow or another, she gets up with the paperwork. So that's kind of what I was talking about. And I wish we could teach more people that. Find you a smart wife, kids, or a husband, <laughs>
0: whatever. Well, I've got one. We actually, we complement each other pretty well. Um... So sidebar, I always yeah. thought if I had ISHAM hardware, the first thing I'd do is get a gunsmith back in there and get guns in there like they had in 1892. You're looking to make money then, because that well, is that is
1: successful. You, I mean,
0: man, that would really play that would really play on that whole tradition.
1: And if if I know that it's for sale. It's been for sale for years, correct? We ain't gonna get into all the reasons why I, I could never buy it. But if somebody was to have an FFL, which is a federal firearms license, and have a gunsmith in the back, that part of it would probably support most of it. The rest of it. I mean, you gotta know your audience. We're yeah. here in the middle of the country and this is, you know, God's guns and America. Right. Know? That's that's a smart that would be a very smart deal you'd do there. I expect you to open that soon. <laughs> well, I'm supposed to be retired. That's the only that's problem. Supposed to be retired,
2: <laughs> so
0: I so maybe we'll transition into this I think that there's a way that we ought to be having every high school kid in America really go through this program that I discovered in 2011 and give them a little bit of entrepreneurial mindset. And for some of them, especially coupled with some activities, some um, we sponsor a thing called Youth Entrepreneurship Challenge, which is basically a business challenge for uh, teenage kids and it's just amazing to see the businesses they come up with but um, so I mentioned a while ago you can't you can't really teach entrepreneurship or at least that mindset you can't really t- teach the mindset and you can't really ask a entrepreneur how they think they can't explain it it's tacit knowledge they can't explain it it's like if you um ask somebody how to do something really complicated that they've learned to do. It's really hard to, it's very, it's hard. really hard to write out like directions yeah. and all that stuff. So what this guy that started this program found was, and by the way, he doesn't have a college degree either, but he started out cleaning gutters for people because that's the only thing he knew how to do. And Pretty soon people were asking him to do other stuff, like a lady asked him if he could fix her garage door opener one time, and he had to go to the library because there was no internet back then, and he had to go to the library and figure out how to fix the garage door opener. Well, one thing led to another, and he ended up with a big construction management company. And then he adopted this kid who was about ready to drop out of high school because his mother was on drugs, but he was a friend of his son's. And he didn't know what to do with him exactly, so he... um he kind of helped him start a construction site cleaning business because we all know contractors don't like to clean up after themselves, right? Yeah. And so this kid would go, he's 16, and they went to a garage sale and they bought some stuff for him, you know, vacuum, mops, brooms, all the stuff you'd need to clean up a construction site. Well, the kid made a pretty good business out of that, and he graduated high school and became a Marine. And so Gary's sitting around one day and he's going, huh, We've had two examples now of very successful businesses. Neither one of us had any special business training and I don't even have a degree. And so there must be something missing in the way we're trying to train entrepreneurs in this country. So the way he solved the problem of not being able to ask an entrepreneur how they think was he went all over the country videotaping entrepreneurs kind of telling their story most of them had not good bring backgrounds growing up. And yet somehow they worked through all that and they made successful businesses. And so as it turns out, if you listen to these different people telling their stories, you can sort of identify some common things in the, in the way they think. And that's the basis of how you teach, how you not teach, how you instill entrepreneurial mindset people as you Um, you have them listen to these people who don't, most of them don't have special training. A lot of them didn't, almost none of them had any money. Um, by the way, do you know that 98% of the fortune 500 businesses a few years ago started with $10,000 or less? So that's another myth in the United States that you have to have this big venture capital and a big business plan and all that to start a business. And that's just not the way it's done. You guys have seen that just hardly anybody starts that way. Yeah,
1: the uh, business plan is is pretty daunting too for somebody like me that I see that as, you know, oh heck, I don't know where to begin. I was glad to see that there's some resources here in town because I got some things I still want to do and everybody wants that business plan like you're talking about. They want to know what you're going to do. Well,
0: the banks are going to do it. So we simplify, or in my work, I simplify it quite a bit and I, I call it a narrative. Somehow you need to get it across what you're, what you're trying to do, and especially what problem you're trying to solve. And then um, if you can, I've got a spreadsheet form. Basically, you predict what your checkbook's going to look like over the first year or two. And if you do that, it kind of catches everything because it catches any money you're going to borrow. And and then when you start paying it back and it catches income you're going to get from your sales and it catches the expenses you're going to have, and if you can get through the first year or two without your checkbook going negative, and pay all your bills and start paying the loans back, then you got a chance at making it. Not too bad, huh? No,
1: not uh, too bad. Yeah, I mean, it's took us a little while to to get into the money. You know, yeah. Like I said, we're not making a killing, but there was a few years that we just event after event, everything we tried was like, <laughs> well, this is. It was. It looked successful. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, but, uh, and honestly, it, I guess it was a success because what well, our goal was was to do this or that. Our goal wasn't necessarily to get rich because we can, we can show you how to lose your money, Jim. <laughs> that's, that's, we are great at that. But, uh, and that's interesting to think that you had to show these kids other people
0: like them. Hmm. Yes. Well, spe- yeah. I'm telling you that, that, Jag K, I think they have one here, and there's one in Independence that I'm probably a little more familiar with, and I keep trying to tell the superintendents, there are some brilliant entrepreneurs in those classes, Hmm. and you're not talking to them about it, so they're never going to realize it.
2: And you know, it's not like, I think some people or parents who hear about that, they think it's, oh, it's for the kid that's not doing great, right? It's not. One of the most successful um, kids that I know of going through our Jag program here in Coffeyville, 4.0 4.0 kid like it's it doesn't it's not limited to it, kids who are just struggling no, in school. Right. like don't don't be afraid that like they can't take those classes or whatever or um and i don't know how it is now because it's been a few years since i've been involved with the school system here in but it's it's a great opportunity to let kids fail safely because they don't yes. um there's that insane fear i have it I have an insane fear of failure that makes me not want to do things. He has to push me. This is, again, that whole, like, we Mm -hmm. work well together. He pushes me to do things all the time.
0: See, and that that came from schooling, most likely. Oh, yeah.
2: 100%. (laughs) And,
0: like, in a Fab Lab environment or even entrepreneurship, for that matter, you say, we... Don't want anybody getting hurt, obviously. But when you fail, if you figure out what went wrong, that's how yeah. you learn. You learn that much better that way than if you're trying to read it in a book. There's nothing wrong with failure at all. No, no. Um, I disagree.
2: It's terrifying.
0: <laughs> so I started this. I started this class in the fall of 2012 um, in Independence. Most, in fact, I did the first classes downtown because it was never. There's a whole reason college students come in and they've been they've been told to do a certain thing and, and independence. I think they're 72% athletes now. So the coaches don't particularly want free thinkers. They want them to do what they're told and they want to keep them busy with with their practices. So we never did. We always had only two or three college kids in a class. Mostly it was community members and everything from existing business owners, people that wanted to start retirees. And I think I've done, 150 altogether over those years but when we started in 2012 there was they told me there was only 10 community colleges in the world that were doing this ice house program at the time so we were an early adopter it was kind of a new a new uh program but over that time um, nearly everyone that takes the class as it changes the way they think in a positive way makes them a better problem solver better critical thinker and that's what we want in the kids, right? Mm-hmm. If you're whether you're going to be have customers or whether you're going to go to work for somebody, we hire people to solve problems for us, right? So the better problem solvers are going to do better, whether they're in business for themselves or whether they're working for somebody else. And a few people each class would actually say that it changes their life. And uh, I think. If we could do that for all these high school kids, you know, still make them do all the stuff that they're doing, and because this can kind of be done at the same time, and it's not an intense, it's not an intense thing. There's a, there's what they call eight life's lessons in this class, and it takes about an hour and a half or two hours for each of those lessons. So that's sixteen clock hours total to get this thing done. And um, well, I'm telling you, if every high school kid in America did that it wouldn't affect everybody, but I'll bet you 85 or 90% of them, it would affect the way they're going to come out out of high school and it would change the world, I think. Um, And then I've had this idea, if you couple that, so you have a kid that has that. This is some of the kids that don't know what they want to do, right? So you have a kid that has that and then you help them develop a list of 12 projects to make some of them in a Fab Lab type environment with different technologies. And some of them could be like a lot of different stuff. It's a lot like merit badges in scouting, really. But you take and help them get through 12 projects making stuff that they didn't know how to make. And after each one, you do a little video of them talking about what they learned, what they had to learn to get the, get the thing to turn out right. And I've, I know about eight or ten businesses that would love to see people walk in the door that had these two things, that Entrepreneurial Mindset Certificate and the, and the knowledge that they had learned from making uh, 12 things. You know, Forget the college and everything else. They're the companies that are saying, we'll train the right person. And a funny thing happens when you get that mindset and you get the self-confidence, the self-efficacy from, from making those projects and learning how to do stuff that you didn't know you could do it kind of develops this these soft skills. You can't teach soft skills either. You can't teach people to want to go to work on time and not be drunk when they get yes. there. You, there's no way you can teach that. That has to come from inside. Yes. And all this together kind of in 85% of the people will kind of instill that. And so that will make them the quote right person for a company to train, to run whatever kind of weird machines they have to run or do whatever kind of
1: weird work they have to do. Good old fashioned greed helped me become a better person. <laughs> yeah. And when I was a young man, I was kind of stupid. I ain't going to lie. I had some issues, but good old fashioned. I want a nice vehicle. And you know how you do that? You go to work. Yeah. And I've gotten bored with what we do. So we're trying to think of other things to do. One of these days I want to retire like you and, and never not be able to not to do anything. So that's, <laughs> that's my plan. You're the second person that's been at our house this evening that's told us they were retired. I know. And they do stuff every day.
0: Well, my wife says that I'm doing too much stuff, but she also likes the the way, you know, I help people get small business gap financing loans and then each month I process about 30 loans, which means I take in the I take in the payments and process them and update the amortizations and then send that money into network kansas and that you know when well and you know a little bit about the the yeah. business dan thornton's trying to start okay, you saying his and name all right i didn't i don't No, I, I don't, no, I don't <laughs> think i think he's, no, he he's okay he with that but yeah. uh he you know getting in in the beginning and helping somebody start a business and and there's a woman up in independence uh haley schulteis is her name she took the class in the fall of 21 and I didn't realize it at the time, but she puts, she put this on Facebook, so I'm going to say it. She, now she says she had hit rock bottom when she took that class. She's one of the ones that will say it changed her life. She's a, uh, an APRN, and she was working for, an, I'll just say, an, a, a, an established medical uh, business. And uh, she was just basically miserable. She, she wasn't able to work with her patients the way she wanted to. And she wanted to figure out a way to get on her own. And you know what? She took that class and she figured out a way to get on her own. And now she, she owns and operates. She calls it Brio Med Spa and Wellness in Independence. Oh, that and Independence. Makes- and she is just on cloud nine right now. And, um, so that's pretty, that's pretty satisfying to be, you know, be part of that. And that's, that's more dramatic than most, I guess, but uh, being able to – I do I do business coaching a different way too because I don't ever try to tell people what to do like some coaches or some advisors do. I, I just kind of talk things out with them and try to help lead them to their own decisions. And I tell a lot of stories. I might say, well, I knew this person who did something similar to what you're talking about Here out came out, but I have lots of people that said that's been really helpful to them in their business. And, and lots of, you know, I saw what we did for kids in the fab lab and that's pretty cool stuff. When you start changing the way people think and helping them do better, that's pretty cool. I'm not ready to give that up yet.
1: (laughs) I like to say I'm an entrepreneurial, but Dan Thornson is the entrepreneurial, in my opinion. (laughs) He's a, he's a bit of a motivator to me. I ain't going to lie because that dude walked away from security. And just yeah. jumped right in the in the the pit, and as you know, I talked to him days on the way to Texas. Yep, uh, he spent a while in Germany, and his life isn't uh, perfect right now. But one day, he's going to be. I mean, he's 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 uh, digging the garden that's it's going to oh, grow yeah. in right it's now. It's going to grow big, and I think that guy's going to have. All kinds of success. I'm going to be the official uh, grouchy old man that makes a coffee in about eight and a half years at a shop. So, if you want to come
0: <laughs> he, by, he's already making plans. So, on his way to Houston today, he's listening to something called "Think and Grow Rich." Okay, and I'm going to throw this out there. It was written in 1937 by a guy named Napoleon Hill. And actually, I think it there was a book called The Secret that came out a few years ago, and yeah. I think it's a derivative of this Think I've and Grow Rich. I've been hearing about but, this secret thing. Um, well, Think and Grow Rich, I think, is the original, and that's the one that you should read. So this Napoleon Hill, he was challenged by, I think he was a magazine journalist, and he was challenged to figure out what made people like Rockefellers and, and Andrew Carnegie famous. And so basically, it came down to the way they think. And so Think and Grow Rich is about how you can think about stuff and it will happen. And I've seen it happen in my own life several times. We added a $750,000 building onto the Fab Lab and that started out as a thought of mine. And then some people shared it. Tim shared it. And so Dan's going to have this business and he's going to get it started in what he calls phase one. But phase two is to have his own building out at the airport in Independence with his own test pad. And that's going to take some money to get that put together. And I said, you read this book and you just start thinking about it and don't worry about where the money is going to come from for right now because it will come. And I think he'd read The Secret. So he told me he was going to listen to that on the way down to Houston this week. But I have no doubt it'll all come together.
2: Do you think that's part of it, the you think about it you think about it we talk you you came in talking about this problem solving mentality that kind of comes with this that when you start thinking about it you start just like every problem that you would run into your brain just starts thinking about like well that could be fixed yes like you start trying to process yes. that is the problem yes. solving piece of it and you worry about all the rest of it as it comes but yep you yep. walk yourself through and the problem and that's one of yourself. the traits
0: of entrepreneurs i don't want to know everything now I wanna know stuff as I need to know it. I don't wanna I don't wanna get a degree and I don't want you to try to tell me everything that I ever might need to know. And with the internet now, we don't need to worry about knowing everything up front, right? We can learn it as yeah. we need to go. But one of the other things in that book, one of the things that he does is if you have something that you really want to happen, you like write it down every day. Write it down every day. And if and if you're doing that and you're thinking it about a lot pretty soon it starts to change your behavior a little bit and it has to do with the problems that you encounter and it just that's what you're thinking about and so that's part of what makes it come about but it's it's weird and i don't I don't think the kids are not really picking that up in the schooling that we give them either um they they sometimes i think they tend to think life is a lottery and some people are just lucky and some people aren't But this right here, this entrepreneurship class demonstrates, um, in fact, the very first of the eight life's lessons is, just the book I have over here. Yep, it is. It is choice. And the whole theme of that first lesson is that it's your choices in life that control the outcome, not your circumstances. And what could be a better message than that? For no matter really what really anybody, yeah. Because people people demonstrate it all the time. All kinds of horrible things happen to them. They have horrible upbringings, and yet they get through it somehow. Some people do, and some people don't. I'm just going to read through the others. A uh, ch- uh, lesson two is opportunity, and that's kind of about uh, taking problems and looking at them at, as opportunities. Three is about action, and that's kind of about ideas are just ideas until you take action so you need to figure out how to take action and get going on something and there is a lesson on knowledge and so we have to be careful because just because we say that everybody doesn't need college does not mean that everybody doesn't need to be ready to learn you have to be ready to learn what you need to know and you have to face the fact that you're going to have to be a lifelong learner (laughs) but there's lots of ways to learn things fortunately now without having to go to school for them all uh Lesson five is about wealth and that is kind of about not having a goal of being wealthy, but that you get wealthy if you don't drive a car that's beyond your means and you don't live a house that's in a house that's beyond your means. So basically don't have too much debt and and put some savings away all the time and that's kind of what leads to wealth. Um Six is about brand and that that's really important because brand is more than just a logo and so your brand is really you. And the way to be successful in life is to do what you say you're going to do and be reliable for people and that applies no matter what. Uh, community is lesson seven and uh, that's kind of about having a community, not exactly like minds, but having a community of people that are all looking at a, at a positive future and not not dragging you down. So one of the entrepreneurs in here's his name is Rodney Walker. And he was, he was raised in 13 different foster homes in South Chicago. And his friends were not, I mean, they were in the drug thing and all that. And so finally he decided one time that it, that was not going to work. So he needed a different community. And he also, by the way, when he got involved in entrepreneurship in high school and he won some money at an entrepreneurship competition, he says now that was one of the first times when I realized I probably really can make my own way and I don't have to be dependent on everybody else to be able to make it. And lesson eight is persistence. And of course, we all know that you have to be persistent. And sometimes you have to draw the line and know when something's not going to work, but basically you have to go through a lot of persistence and that's a good message for everybody too.
1: Those last year pretty important to me they hit real hard on my radar because i try to surround myself with people that don't suck you know what i mean <laughs> right uh well dan's a, is a good reason uh, a good example of uh he's a motivator to me mm-hmm. and then another friend of mine down the street here has a uh, internet kind of a business and uh he's a motivator to me and i and i motivate him i'll remind him hey you should be doing this you know and we kind of help each other we, we bounce off each other and like I said, my wife, don't you're not going to be successful. How, what's that saying? It's hard to soar like an eagle when you're shot by turkeys. Right.
0: Yeah. Kind of you know, like that.
1: You can't you can't grow a garden in crap soil? And wonder why you don't get any fruit. Mm-hmm. So, hmm.
0: so uh, so I did that class mostly in person, and I generally offered it two times a year. And actually, before Fab Lab, I did two uh, two semesters uh, down here in Coffeyville. And Marlon Thornburg was the guy they called VP or something of innovation. But anyway, we didn't really do we didn't really do it through them, but they let me have a room to use on the campus. And so that was kind of cool. We had I had people say that's the first that's the first thing I can ever remember of the two colleges working together on anything hmm. was them letting you do these two cl- two classes. And I would have done more of them, but then we started the Fab Lab that next year and I just ran out of time. But so what I'm doing now that, uh, and it's an experiment. You know, life's experiments, right? But I think it's going to be good. Um, not as good as the the in-person classes. I would bring in local entrepreneurs, and what was really cool about that is they would tell their story. You could start to draw parallels with the entrepreneurs in the videos, and they don't all use the same words exactly, but. Sure you can kind of tell there's very similar ways that they think, the local ones to the ones they see in the videos. So I'm trying what I'm calling a one-on-one entrepreneurial mindset class, which still includes the videos, and then I go in and respond to, uh, after each of these lessons, the person has to go in and just write a short paragraph. That's the reason it would be so easy for high school kids. You watch an hour hour video, hour and a half video, and then you write a little paragraph about how did that change my thinking or what did I get out of that. And that's about it, plus a couple of other things. I go in and throw my two cents worth in and response, and, um, and that's the class. And that way, if you do that, everybody can kind of be on their own schedule. So we work it out, let them start when they want to. Um, probably not going to let them have more than four months, but generally – one of the eight lessons every week or two is enough that, you know, people have an hour and a half or so over a week or two that they can they can get it done. I'm just having my first guy uh, finish. He's he's from Independence, and he wants to get into woodworking. And he's actually, I think he's talked to Derek a little bit, score splinter yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, but he's got a full-time job, but he kind of wants to develop this uh, his woodworking business. And he he's got a real interesting idea of putting a he's real religious he's kind of a real wanting to kind of weave his uh, spirituality into the wood business somehow. Uh, but he wrote a really good he did well and he and um, he's the first finisher and he wrote a nice nice review or a nice survey of it that it that's real helped him get ready to you know and be ready to move forward. So um, so we're gonna do that since it's. Um, hard for me to have time and it's hard to get people it's harder and harder to get people to take you know if you did a 10 or 12 week class they got to show up Mm -hmm. uh, you know every week in an evening and and it's getting harder and harder the pandemic of course screwed screwed that up totally and so we're going to try this one on one thing i can tell you i'm gonna have to keep my digital buggy whip uh, handy though because people get busy you know Mm. a lot of these most of these people will be adults and they got families, and most of them got yeah. jobs. And so it's like, okay, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Get to work. So, you got anything? Did I think you- that's the main point. So I just think that if more people had that, and like I said, we've had we've had retired people go through that class that said they thought they were done, they didn't have anything to offer anybody anymore, and that showed them that they could have more to offer people who already have businesses have told us it's helped them and especially people that, um, are kind of wanting to start one. It's kind of a, it's not, it doesn't teach you any of the like accounting or, or QuickBooks or any of that stuff. It's not a managerial type thing. It's really just to get your mindset on. And we talk a lot about how to validate your market. So how to, how to figure out whether people want what you're trying to offer without spending your whole life savings on it, trying to figure out a way to start small enough that you can kind of figure out what people really want before you get into it.
1: That is something I deal with right here. I need to figure out what my audience wants. Mm -hmm. But it also has to be what I want to provide, too, because if it's not what I want to do, it's not going to be worth anything. Right. But uh, I think...
0: Yeah, finding that that balance. And it's not
1: being a sellout. Oh, you're selling out. No, I'm still doing what I want to do, but... If your customers want red tomatoes and you're only growing yellow, maybe you should have a couple of reds laying there. You, you know? know, I'm
0: gonna hesitate to say this because I'm I do not wanna be compared with a certain national politician oh, no. who likes Venn diagrams. But there's a Venn diagram around that you, you know, you don't necessarily get to do what you're passionate about. It I has mean, to be a value to somebody. Yeah. So if you if you're passionate about snowboarding you might be able to make that work, but you better be good enough that people who have a need to watch good snowboarders <laughs> are willing to pay for it. So mm-hmm. this Venn diagram is like what you're passionate about, maybe your knowledge, and then what people want. And where those three things overlap, if that's you if fine. you get fortunate enough to find that or blessed enough to find that, that's pretty good. Because then you got to do something you
1: like doing, and you figured out a way to make it something people want. I always wanted to be a radio DJ, but I knew that it just that wasn't enough to do what i want to do and i I remember asking one time hey i'd be a give me a couple hours and friday night and they wouldn't do i said i'd do it for free so i just bought my own equipment and made my own radio show (laughs) there you go i'll show them
0: that's you know there's a lot of the technology that's a real pain but that is pretty cool that you can do stuff and it doesn't cost a fortune to get set up to do it like
1: it used to it was a bit of a pain i it was a lot of struggle a lot of mistakes if you go back and listen to the first 20 or 30 of these man i recommend you don't <laughs> they're bad
2: yeah but you've gotten to take that and kind of do what he does with it you've helped others yeah, with your knowledge of yeah, like how to put it together and, and we had that's at, always a cool experience too
0: at the fab lab i was i was fortunate we i had kind of full reign we had our own financing we weren't for for the first eight and a half years we weren't we had separate financing from the college, I guess. And so they paid our salaries and we didn't have to pay any rent. But other than that, we were self sufficient. And I tried to make a little bit of money doing everything that we did in the Fab Lab. And so I had a lot of control over what we ended up buying. I had a chance to buy some video equipment one year that a church had bought nice nice stuff, like three cameras or two and and, a, and a, a video mixer they don't call it mixer video switch I guess but uh, so when we did these classes and had the entrepreneurs come in we learned to film them with multiple cameras and, and put mics on them and get good sound and so I went through a learning curve we tried to we tried to do the editing on on the fly because you you don't have time to sit down for five hours right. after it's over but we learned to make pretty decent, you know, pretty, not broadcast quality, but uh, the sound quality is good, and you can yeah. flip around and show who's talking. And But it was a pain to, <laughs> to figure it out. It's fun,
1: though. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun pain because when you get done, dang, I accomplished something. Yep. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Well, I have a website,
0: com. That might be the easiest way for them to remember. I, have a, I don't have a business facebook page but i i do have a facebook page it's yeah. under jim correll and um i like helping people with business ideas and we have some resources uh through this local thing called montgomery county e-community and so i'd love to hear from anybody who's wanting to do that or may be interested in taking this class i
1: would to look into that i've never heard of this montgomery county e-community
0: Yes, um, it's not Montgomery County Action Council. We do work with them. They're they're an economic development group that's been around since the 80s. Montgomery County E-Community is a program of Network Kansas. And Network Kansas is kind of part of the Kansas Department of Commerce, but it's very, very different than most government programs. And it's because it was started back in 2005. And guess who they hired to run it? They hired a couple of entrepreneurs to run it. And these two entrepreneurs had had some businesses together, and some of them had been very successful, and some of them had been miserable failures. (laughs) And so Network Kansas, through all those years, has been very innovative, and their kind of primary thing is to help entrepreneurs. And so they started a program called eCommunity, which um, has the gap financing that they can provide for us. And they actually are helping sponsor this Ice House class, so that instead of the three hundred and fifty dollars, people in Montgomery County, I've got one left at seventy nine dollars, and then it's going to go to ninety nine dollars. So they help with that, and um, I guess that's the main that's the main thing on that. We and that is facilitate Montgomery County e community is facilitated by a nonprofit corporation called innovative business resource center that we started in 2010. So IBRC is what they call the local sponsoring organization for this Montgomery County e-community. So it's very complicated, but we have business resources.
1: And hmm, good deal. Let's Check into that. Well, all right. This is where uh, I reach out to the people that help us here. We have a do a thing called value for value. I don't know if you ever listened to it before. We don't have any commercials and I didn't get this idea of my own, I'm not that intelligent, uh, there's a guy that uh, basically invented the podcast. And what we do here is if you find value in this, like if you're at home listening and you think you got any kind of value out of this, if it's a $1 dollar or a hundred dollars, I'm sure it's a hundred dollars. <laughs> you can go to our website, wkopodcast.com. And uh, there's a, if you click on the producer tab, you can see all the people that have donated that are currently donating just because their names on there doesn't mean that they've stopped there. There's, you can be recurring or whatever, we had some this weekend during our fantasy football draft, and we appreciate all of those, and I'll mention those on the next show. But anyway, go over there, buy a T-shirt, or buy a hat. I want to work on some new stuff. I didn't get that email today. Oh. I hate email, Jim. It's just not really my thing. Anyway, we appreciate every bit of your help, and uh, get a hold of Jim, and uh, let us know. We're looking for other interesting people to talk to. I think I've got a couple more lined up. But I need, uh, I need more. I need more people out there with something interesting to say. Thank you very much. And uh, be sure to like and subscribe and do all those things. Thank you. We're still going. Hold on.